as we finish our time in this book. I know that it's been edifying to me. I hope it has been to you. Today we're talking about the, the topic of contentment. I've entitled this sermon, The Secret of Contentment. And before we wade too deeply into the text, I would say I want to give you a, a book recommendation. This is a Puritan paperback. It's uh, printed by the Banner of Truth. So if you come on Wednesday nights, we, we read a Puritan prayer before we begin our time. This book is called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's by Jeremiah Burroughs. Incredibly, incredibly encouraging uh, book. So I would encourage you to, to pick that up if you, if you sense that the things that we're talking about this morning seem to be a particular need of yours, uh, that might be a good place to begin or to continue. So Philippians chapter 4, we'll read this beginning, beginning in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern. For me, what Paul's speaking about here, of course, is how this church in Philippi was one of the churches that helped him, that funded him, that gave him encouragement while he was in prison. Many other churches did not. The church in Philippi did. They've revived their concern for him. He says, "You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And now that I am speaking, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be." Content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him, through Christ, who strengthens me. The rest of the chapter, the last ten verses or so, go on to describe... Paul's relationship with this church, how they were generous to him in a time when he needed that. I would encourage you to read those, but we are going to focus on these verses 10 through 13 today as we round out the book. But I want to begin by telling you a story. When I was growing up, uh, I remember hearing a story about a local man who, who was buying up a lot of land. Land that he really didn't need, he certainly didn't work the land, and he seemed to always be purchasing whatever was coming available. And finally, somebody asked him, people would ask him in town, and they would say, you know, why, why are you buying up so much land? Are you, are you trying to buy up everything? Are you trying to buy up the whole county? And he would reply by saying, oh, I don't want to own it all. I just want to own everything that joins me. <laughs> and, of course, you see the problem. Because once you buy everything that joins you, then you just want to continue buying everything that joins you. The question that we're answering today, or asking today, seeking to answer, is what does it mean to be content? Uh, is it merely the state of just being okay with what you have? Is that it? Or does it run a little bit deeper? Yeah, the word content has even some, sometimes these negative ideas, these negative connotations with it. A person who is content with the way things are might often be looked upon as lazy. You might hear someone say, don't, don't ever get content, right? Don't settle. 
A person who says they're content with what they have might even be viewed as naive. Hey, isn't there, isn't there more to life? You need to chase after it. Don't ever get content. Don't, don't get comfortable. Don't settle. Here's a working definition that we're going to use today. Contentment is what happens inside the heart that is satisfied in Christ. Contentment is what happens inside the heart that is satisfied in Christ. The heart that says and believes Christ is enough. On the back side of that, discontentment is what happens inside the heart that is still seeking to be satisfied. See, friends, we're all looking for what will satisfy us. Everyone who walks the face of the earth is looking for some channel, some vehicle, some means by which they might be put at peace. By which they might feel like they have enough. So that they can think to themselves, I've, I've arrived. I've finally arrived. We're wired this way. Every movie that we watch, every novel that we read seems to have this same pattern of, of life going in a particular way and then a problem happening, right? You even study this in English class. Like there's the, the beginning of the story and then a problem happens and then there's like a, a rise and then there's a peak to the story where everything, something big happens and then there's a resolution, right? And then they lived happily ever after. Every story that we read, every movie that we watch goes in the same pattern because we've been wired to think this way and to feel this way. And friends, here's the thesis. Here's the, the point that I'm trying to set forth. That if you try to locate your life and explain your life through any other story other than the gospel, you will be discontent. Right? The, the peak, the crescendo of our story is Christ at the cross and the resolution... The resolution to our story where everything gets made right and we live happily ever after. The resolution is life in Christ and finding our peace in Him. And if we try to find our peace through any other means and through any other vehicle, it won't last. Because we're trying to fill a God-sized hole in our heart. And the only thing that can fill a God-sized hole is God. And so, we need to give ourselves... To contentment. But I have a few points, and the first one is this. Contentment comes from knowing and trusting God. Contentment comes from knowing and trusting God. I want to read this from Proverbs 19, just a short little verse. It says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Whoever has the fear of the Lord will rest Satisfied. We live in a very anxious, a very unrestful age. How can we find rest? How can we find contentment and rest for our souls? Particularly, we live in this kind of society in the age of, of social media. When everybody else puts their successes, they publish their successes for the rest of the world to see, and it becomes very easy to begin to wonder, do I have enough? Have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough? Is my family picture perfect enough? What happens when disappointments come into life? Is there a way that we can explain our disappointments and remain content? The answer is yes. Through Christ. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests 
satisfied. So the content heart says this, as, as the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs has written, says this, The Lord knows how to order things better than I. The Lord sees further than I do. I only see the things at present, but the Lord sees a great while from now. In other words, having a trust in the character of God and who God is and that the fact, the fact of the matter is that He can order your life and He can set up situations in your life better than you could if you were in charge. And so what that means is that even when bad comes into your life, that there's a greater purpose that God is going to effect through it. And so we can rest content even in the face of disappointment. We can rest content even in the face of of us not having as much as we thought we did, or, or even in the face of our life not turning out in the picture-perfect way that we thought that it might. Discontentment comes from forgetting what is true of us and what is true of God. Friends, this is exactly, this is exactly why one of the four things that I hope to lead us to see and to rehearse and to, and to proclaim is that we, we need to be a gospel-centered church. So that we remember what the Bible says is true of us and is true of God. Because when we forget what the Bible says is true of us and true of God, that cashes out in our life. It shows up in, in discontentment. It shows up in anger. Sometimes it shows up in anxiety. Sometimes it shows up in bitterness. What We have to remember the gospel. And the gospel teaches us first the bad news. What is it that we deserve? What do we deserve? And I would ask you this question. What is it inside of your heart? This might be the key to your finding why there might be discontentment in your heart. What is it? What kind of life do you feel like God owes you? What do you feel like God owes you? The reality is that the gospel speaks a word of us and it says that what we deserve is hell. And any day not spent there is a gift, is a blessing. We are so far from God, our hearts are turned away from Him, and so we deserve hell. And only in that context, only when viewing our life through that lens, can we become content. Because if we think, hey, I only have this kind of house, but I want this kind of house. Well, you're going to be content with that. Or I only have this kind of truck, but I want this kind of truck. If we start comparing ourselves to, to what we really deserve, separation from God, hell, punishment for our sins, then we can become a little more content. Does that make sense? We have to, as we said last week, change our scorecard. Start judging ourselves based on what we deserve, not based on what someone else has. Or a vision of our own life that we've kind of projected onto God. And then we come to God in, in this indignant attitude and we say, God, why have you shortchanged me? And he looks at us and says, shortchanged you? If I gave you what you earned, the wages of sin is death. If I gave you what you deserve, you would go straight to hell right now. So people look on the Garden of Eden and they say, why was God so harsh on Adam and Eve? Why did he banish them from the garden? Why did he cause them to live these broken lives? And I want to say, why was God harsh to Adam and Eve? We need to wonder why he let them live. You mean this, this creature that God created from the dust and, and gave breath and gave everything they could possibly want, chose to rebel against him, and God in his grace allows them to live and allows them to continue and allows them to have purpose 
Friends, we're, we're tempted to believe that God owes us our own desires. But really, more truly, what God is often interested in doing is taking our picture of a perfect life and replacing it with His picture of a perfect life. Sometimes those pictures don't match up, but He will get glory through His picture of a perfect life for you. So our scorecard is no longer, am I getting what I think I want? The scorecard now becomes, is God being glorified through my life? And if that's the question that you wake up every morning asking, only then can we begin to grow in contentment because God's purposes are higher than ours. We begin to be able to train our hearts through, through even tears, through sorrow, through disappointment, asking God to help us to remember that the things of this world cannot offer, cannot offer to us what is found in Jesus. This world is a really, really terrible place to make your biggest investments. It's a really, really, it's going to be a disappointing place to think that you can get everything that you want. Why? Because you have a God-sized hole in your heart. I have a God-sized hole in my heart. And trying to become content through anything other than Jesus is like trying to fill up the Grand Canyon one pebble at a time. It'll just never happen. I want to read this to you from Ecclesiastes. It said this. It's rather lengthy, but I think it's beneficial. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold... This also was vanity. I said of laughter it is mad. And of pleasure what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Then I have this in bold on my paper. It says this, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart was, for in my heart was found pleasure in all my toil, and, and this was the reward for all of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So friends, if our standard of enough is whether or not our desires are getting met, we're going to be discontent. Because we would ne- nobody in this room will ever come near to the riches that King Solomon had. And he was able to leverage all of his influence and all of his riches. And he was able to spend it all on himself. And he still says, it didn't satisfy. It didn't do the trick. My labor, I was accomplished. I was more wise than anybody else. I had more than anybody else. And it was still empty. It still rang hollow. But if our standard of enough 
is whether or not God's desires are being worked out in our life. Then we can have a scorecard that will lead us to contentment. Does that make sense? It's a pathway. It's a pathway forward. Here's my second point. Contentment comes from humility. It says this in, um, in verse 12, uh, Philippians 4, verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Friends, this is an odd thing to say. Paul not only says, I know how to face little. I know how to get by on little. We've all heard those stories, perhaps of our parents or our grandparents going through incredibly different, uh, difficult times during a different age of our nation's history when, when things were very difficult, perhaps during, even during the Depression. And they say, you know what? We, we always had enough. We always felt like we had enough. The Lord took care of us. We were always content. We get that, right? We understand maybe how that might make sense, why we need contentment when we don't have stuff. Sometimes I go and I go overseas and I see... What goes on in, in the global south or the third world, whatever phrase you want to use. And what, what strikes me many times is not how little the people have, it's, it's how happy they are with it. But what Paul says here is he's learned the secret of not only getting by with little, but getting by with a lot. Why would he say such a thing? Well, friends, I think it's because he knows that there are people who are going to be reading this, this letter who are in the same situation as you and I. Friends, if you live in the United States, poverty here looks like riches in other places. We have plenty. We have more than enough. We have more than we need. And, of course, still our politicians continue to get elected by telling us that we deserve even more. It's amazing. We have so much but the reality is what Paul understands is that discontentment and contentment really have very little to do with how much you have. They really have very little to do with how, with how much you've achieved. Discontentment and contentment have very little to do with what other people think of you and the things that you're trying to accomplish and achieve in front of them. Discontentment and contentment are rather a matter of the heart. Are you gauging whether or not you have enough in light of what Jesus did for you? Because that is the proper scorecard. Is Christ enough? 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. You see what he's saying here? What he's saying is that the love of money is a trap, not because God is trying to turn the dial down on your joy... But because if you actually seek joy through money and through possessions and through acclaim, you're actually selling yourself short. That there's a deeper sense of security. There's a deeper sense of contentment to be found only in Christ. 
And what Christ wants you to do is not to be chasing after things that can't really satisfy. He wants to turn the dial up on your joy by showing you what it means to live content in Him. That is the message of contentment that we have to preach from the Scriptures. The truth is this. Uh, I'll, I'll quote Corey Ten Boom, who was a Dutch a Christian in World War II, whose family, uh, of course you may know the story, helped uh, smuggle Jews um, away from the Nazis. Of course, her family was finally captured, and she was sent herself to a, a concentration camp. She said this, You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. Friends, we can either humble ourselves and confess to God that Christ is all we have. Christ is our only claim to contentment. Or we can be humble. And the second one is a lot more undesirable. So let's humble ourselves before God. A discontent heart, next, is going to be led easily into sin. Think about that. Most sins begin with discontentment. Most all sins begin with discontentment or pride or a mixture of the two, thinking that you don't have enough, that God hasn't been good enough to you, so you need to get a little extra something somewhere else. Discontentment in your marriage leads you to look elsewhere for something, either to another person or to some kind of online venue that, that compromises your relationship. Discontentment with your finances leads some people to become workaholics. It might maybe even to do illegal things, discontentment with with their finances, or just to become bitter. If Christ is not your source of contentment, it leads unmarried believers to look for ways to be satisfied outside of Christ, perhaps having some kind of intimate relationship with benefits that God says are only to be expressed within marriage. If Christ is not your source of contentment, it will lead you to live for the opinions of other people, thinking that if you could just be esteemed in their eyes, and maybe that would be enough. But if discontentment leads to all kinds of snares and traps, then we need to fight. We need to go to the mat. We need to go to bat in order to be content. We fight content. We fight discontentment. We fight for contentment by humbling ourselves, by rehearsing the gospel to ourselves, by praying something. I just wrote this prayer out, something like this. Lord, I am a sinner. I was born far from you, and I deserve nothing. I have rebelled against you, and were it not for your love and seeking after me, I would have never come to you. I was lost, and I was following my own way when you came after me. And then when you found me and I deserved punishment, you yourself took the punishment on the cross that I deserve. Thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you have promised to provide for my every need. Thank you that in Christ there is enough. Now, God, help me to believe it. Help me to believe it so deeply that I don't look to other things to satisfy me. See, Paul understood. Paul understood the kind of humility. You imagine the kind of humility it took for him to write this. The very things that, that Garrett mentioned. Paul's apostle who wrote a great portion of the New Testament. The same man says, I learned the secret of being content. If it was a process for Paul, then we can rest knowing that it might be a process for us too. We don't have to be perfect today by 12 o'clock before we leave. 
about 11 o'clock before we leave. It's a process for me too, folks. Contentment is a process. It's sanctification. God making us more like Jesus. And then lastly, contentment is otherworldly. Contentment is otherworldly. Here's what I mean by this. Discontentment doesn't have to be explained. We come out of the womb discontent. We come out of the womb crying for more. Just ask, I mean, ask the parent of any toddler. We all believe that we need more than we have from day one. We are a discontent people. Why? Because of Genesis 3. Because of the brokenness that was ushered into the world at the Garden of Eden. Because there is no one righteous, no not one, Romans 3 says. Because apart from you, we have no good thing, Psalm 16. Before Christ, we were living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, Ephesians chapter 2. Discontentment, friends, doesn't have to be explained. It's natural. But contentment, it's supernatural. Contentment needs to be explained. Now, you show me a person who really believes that they have all that they need. You show me a person who's at rest in their heart, at rest in their soul, and I will show you a person who has come to know Christ deeply. Contentment is only explainable through the gospel. I mean real contentment. I don't mean just this trite, superficial, yeah, I'm a blessed person, I have everything that I need. I'm talking about rest of soul. The only way that our souls can find rest is in Christ. And Paul speaks about this here. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then he says these words that perhaps you originally heard on the ball field or at the basketball court or on the back of some you know, sports t-shirt or whatever. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When Paul says this, one of the principles of interpreting the Bible is context is king. Whatever is around the words, whatever is around the passage, that's what tells us what it means. So we don't just pull Philippians 4.13 out of the Bible and just, I can do all things through Christ, as if it's some kind of promise that we can jump over a big building if we believe Jesus enough. Rather, what it's saying is in the context of contentment, contentment is so impossible. Contentment is so impossible to get that the only way you'll ever get it is if Christ does the work in you. I can become content only through Christ who strengthens me, he says. Does that make sense? Discontentment is so natural, it is such a part of our factory default settings, that the only way we can ever become at rest The only way that our souls will ever be content is if Jesus does it inside of us. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, so far I've spoken of of contentment as as this sanctification issue. I actually put this on social media last night because I was thinking a lot about these things and the words of Augustine that I'm going to read to you in a moment. But the reality of the, is this. Contentment isn't just a, a thing that we do once we're in Christ and we grow. Contentment itself is the gospel. Here's what I mean. 
We are all discontent. Everyone is searching for what will satisfy. The only thing that will satisfy is Christ. Augustine puts it this way. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The only way we can be truly content is through knowing Christ. Why? Because we were set up this way. We were set up to be satisfied by God. And trying to satisfy ourselves, it's like pouring sugar in the tank. When you're, when you're supposed to run on gasoline, it's like pouring sugar in the tank. We're not made to run on any other fuel other than the satisfaction that's found in Jesus. Jeremiah Burroughs, again, puts it this way. My brethren, the reason why you have not gotten contentment in the things of the world is not because you don't have enough of them. That is not the reason. But the reason is because they are not proportional to the immortal soul of yours that is capable of seeing God himself. In other words, you are meant to run on God. And trying to run on anything else will leave you wanting. Will leave you discontent. So friends, as I close, I'll just ask you to do something. I'd ask you to close your eyes. Would you close your eyes? Let me plead with you to look on Jesus today. He's holding out his hand. He's asking you to let go of the things you are now using to satisfy yourself. And he's offering for you to take his hand and to believe and to trust that he is enough. Maybe that means letting go of that idol that you've been thinking about this morning, that sin pattern that is just your way of medicating. It's just your way of coping with your discontentment. Jesus to you, Jesus is holding out his hand. He's offering you himself. He's offering you a better way. Or maybe it means giving your life to Christ. Maybe it means recognizing that you've, you've never given your life to Him. You've never confessed your sins to Him. Or maybe you thought you did, but, but the reality is that the relationship that you, you had with Him was not a gospel relationship. It was more of a what-can-Jesus-do-for-me kind of relationship. I would ask you today, I'm going to pray, we're going to respond would you consider in the quietness of your own heart what it is that God might be asking you to do? God, we thank you for the ability to come here and to gather as the people of God. We thank you for, for the privilege that it is to be, to be able to look to your word and to be sharpened by it. God, I pray that I've preached it clearly. I pray that... I pray that you're doing a work in hearts. I pray that if there are those here in this room whose hearts are a lot like mine, struggle with contentment, that they would return to you today and would rest in the gospel. Lord, I pray that if there are those this morning who realize that perhaps the reason they're not content is because they'd never, they'd never begun a relationship with you. They've never given their lives to you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray they would come and talk to me and say, I want to, I want to confess my sins to Jesus, my sin of, of not being, uh, of trying to find satisfaction somewhere else. I pray they would come and tell me that and we could pray together so they might begin a relationship with God today. 
Lord, would you do that work as we begin to respond to you? I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.